I'd like you to turn to the Scriptures, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13. And I'm going to continue in my series on the spiritual word. And the idea behind this series is that the word of God is not just a dry academic book of words recorded and left just as it were to gather the dust of history. God's word is alive. It is living and active and powerful and perpetually animated by the Holy Spirit. And so check out the first two messages in the series. My title for this message is Showing the Secrets of the Kingdom of Heaven. Jesus said to his disciples, and we'll read it in a moment, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. And what God has revealed to you through his kingdom, he wants you to lay hold of, to grasp, to internalize, and proclaim as you manifest it to the world. But first you have to receive it and understand it and be alive to its ongoing effects in your life. So I want to show you today how to receive and experience the revelation of the kingdom, the secrets of the kingdom, and to continue to grow in them. Now, I looked up some common synonyms regarding the word secret, and here are a few of them. Clandestine, covert, furtive, stealthy, surreptitious, underhanded. Now, while all these words carry the idea of, of doing something without attracting attention or observation, the word secret implies concealment for any grounds or with any motive. That's, that's what the word carries. So it seems to be an unusual word that God would use this word secret when it comes to the kingdom of heaven, knowing that it's anything but secret. When Christ came, he openly manifested the kingdom of God, present in his own person. He was even to say, able to say, those that have seen me have seen the Father. Such an open, full, and complete final revelation of who God was is found in Jesus Christ. And so there's another question here that we are posing at the very beginning. If the kingdom is described as secret and also being revealed right now, how come everybody doesn't gra don't grasp it? Why come not everybody grasps this? Why? What's going on here that it can be so open and yet so concealed? What's happening? Well, for this, we're going to turn to the passage in Matthew beginning to read at verse 10, in which Jesus is explaining two things, the meaning of the parable of the sower, which was the, what, the parable in view here, and also why in general does he speak in parables in the first place. And here's how it opens, verse 10. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? 
And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But to the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. So we turn our attention, first of all, to the reason Jesus spoke in parables. Now, the disciples asked him directly, and there have been many answers to this question, and some of them are good insofar as they go. Parables are short and memorable. They are given with great pictographic impact. Uh, they, are, they are also highly suitable for an oral society such as there was in Jesus' day and still very largely exists in the world today. Many of those people who have A-levels and even university education love to receive information by watching videos, by seeing and listening, not just by reading. And in the parables, Jesus starts with common everyday things, which are the experience of every, every day, particularly in that culture, an agricultural culture, where many parables are drawn from you know, the kind of life of growing and sowing and reaping and bearing fruit and all the other images, very familiar to people of that generation, still familiar to us today. But the point is taking the familiar things that surround us in our experience and drawing parallels between them, those earthly things, and the heavenly truths of the kingdom. And so Jesus takes a, an earthly story to talk about heavenly significant things. Now, that is a good reason why Jesus spoke in parables, but it doesn't really go far enough because it doesn't get to the real point that Jesus says. The real point about parables is they operate according to the way revelation works. And this is the heart of my message today. I want you to understand how revelation works. When revelation is given and really made public, as Jesus' ministry was public, he ministered in the marketplace, he ministered to the crowds, and the Gospels which were recorded following Jesus' ministry have been published and been around for 
more than two millennia. And they are readily available. You can go anywhere almost now in bookshops and buy Bibles and so on. And, and it's so public, so published, so public and open to everybody. Yet, God's revelation is only received by certain people. People who are prepared to humble themselves, people who are prepared to allow a spiritual desire to awaken in them and a curiosity concerning spiritual things and a willingness to receive God's revelation and act upon it, not judge it with their own intellect, their own minds, or their own presuppositions, but be willing to accept that the possibility exists that God is real and he created us and he loves us and he has communicated to us in many ways and particularly through his word, the scriptures, and to know that the revelation in Christ is available to everybody through the gospels and for us to come before God in the, in the presence of this revelation and say, I'm ready to listen. I'm, I haven't closed my mind. I am open, and indeed more than open. I am curious because I am spiritually hungry. And this is why Jesus spoke in parables to the crowds and the multitudes in public, but he waited for his disciples to come to him those who were close to him, and say, we want to know more. We want to experience more. And my prayer today for you is that you are at home saying, I want to know more. First of all, I want to address those who as yet don't understand the kingdom, those who are not yet believers in Christ, not yet followers of Christ. I address you and I say, are you ready to say there may be something more in this? I am curious, not just out of some form of intellectual curiosity or a thirst for some kind of knowledge and understanding, but I have a deep spiritual hunger. And maybe the circumstances of our environment now in all the uncertainty and the issues which we are facing, where we are finding it more difficult to place our trust in the things we trusted in before to realize that there may be a God who is wanting to speak to you today and you're open because you are spiritually thirsty and hungry. And I also want to address those who already do believe. Have you come to the end of your inspiration? Have you come to the end of your hunger and thirst for revelation? Now, the full and final revelation is found in Christ but that doesn't mean to say the moment you say, I believe in Jesus, revelation is over. Not at all. You need your eyes, the eyes of your understanding to be opened and enlightened. You need to have this constant curiosity to find out more and have this adventurous journey of discovery. Not that you find out things for yourselves as much as human research is possible, it's valuable, but to come to that place of humility and say, show me, speak to me. This is a prayer you can pray, Lord, grant illumination on the revelation I have received so that I can grow in maturity and learn to manifest the kingdom and show the kingdom through my life. And Jesus said, this is exactly my intention. Verse 11, to you, he said, speaking to his disciples, speaking to the hungry ones, those who are saying, I want to know more, those who are humble to say, I'm prepared to lay aside my own preconceptions, whether they are religious, philosophical, social, or ideological, to say, 
Is there something more to life than I've been told and that I've discovered so far? And to say, yes, there is. And there's something about Jesus that attracts me. And I want to come to him for understanding, for wisdom, for revelation, so that the eyes might be opened, my ears may be opened, and I open my heart to do this and I seek you. He says to such people, to you, it has been given to know the secrets, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it has not been given. To those who are arrogant, rather like in the early pages in the Christmas story, where the prophecy says the rich he has sent empty away, but the humble of heart have come to him, and the humble poor rejoice. Though the common people heard Jesus gladly, but it was the religious upstarts, those people who thought they were more spiritual than God, those people who thought they had everything about God sewn up in their religious system. Does that speak to you today? No, the Holy Spirit breaks out of religious systems and leads us into a personal encounter with Jesus Christ and with the faith in him that brings revelatory fruit and ripple on effect consequences that reach other people's lives and go on and on and on. We can make a difference when we receive the revelatory message of God's word. And so revelation is not the choice or chance discovery of human ingenuity. It's the choice of the one who in grace speaks to us reveals himself to us. It must be received, yes, and that involves a certain kind of openness and willingness to respond. However, it must first be given. And this is God's gift to you. He is offering it to you. Now, you must receive it and work, uh, and, uh, work it out. In other words, live it and, and take it seriously and that's the meaning behind these words in verse 12. Jesus explains this principle of ongoing illumination, revelation, and uh, discovery, Holy Spirit discovery of everything that you have in Christ. Verse 12, for to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. What this means is how you grow in revelation how you experience the secrets of the kingdom of God is to act on what you receive. And by that, I don't mean file it away in your mental capacity. That's very often what we do. We, we approach these things with a, a Western philosophical Greek view of knowledge, uh, philosophically Greek view of knowledge. We take it, we, we say, yes, okay, that's an assertion, and I file it away in my list of assertions. And that's good. It's a good starting point, but it takes more than that, much more than that. The truth of God's word should not just be an assertion that you hold in your mind and in your intellect, but that you receive it and discover the life that is in it. And by obeying it and receiving it and acting on it, that opens you for more revelation. But if you hold back from that, and this is very important for all us as believers, if we want to advance in spiritual knowledge and understanding, we must put into practice what we already know. 
not just go from one truth to another truth, but to actually receive that truth, to shape our hearts. And when that, it's almost as if when we have digested one truth, then there is room for another truth. It's just like you cannot have breakfast, lunch, and dinner all in the same meal. No, you, 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 this has to be spaced out. And when you have received one meal and digested it and it's done you good, then after a while you become ready for another one. So the one meal that you receive needs to be digested before it's replaced by another meal. And you go on and in that kind of a way, just as it's important to eat physical food. So that's how spiritual food and spiritual revelation uh, operates. And so this means we should constantly be searching the scriptures to bring what is openly and commonly revealed in the pages of our Bible, which is uh, what we have today, and, 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 and bring that scripture to God and to walk through the scriptures and to learn from the scriptures and grow as the Holy Spirit takes you step by step and stage by stage throughout the whole gambit of scripture, knowing from the very beginning in Genesis right to the end of Revelation, we have the whole story told, the greatest story that could ever be told, the story of the reason and purpose of our lives, the, the, the back story of God's love in creating us in the first place and shaping us according to his image so that we can know him and then speaking to us uh, from his heart and revelation through sending the prophets and finally sending his son that we'd have a full and final revelation of who Jesus is and to take that revelation and experience it and progress on it, not just so that we ourselves can be blessed and encouraged, yes, that's true, but that we should be equipped with all the wisdom and knowledge in our experience as well as in our intellect that we can present a credible showing of the gospel, a manifestation of the kingdom of God in our lives. And in that way, we cooperate with God's overall purpose because history is moving to a great climax. God's purpose for everything is going to be revealed. And everything that is happening now, everything, including coronavirus, God is using and working to bring history to its final climax. And we have hope, the hope of the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is the true story of history. It's God's story. And everything else that human beings are planning, their desires, the utopias that they are trying to work for, are vacuous, empty, and shall fail. But Jesus will never fail. He shall return in all his glory and manifest the fullness of the kingdom of God and wind up this present evil age so that only God's glory and power and the fullness and restoration that humanity longs for will be our portion. But until that day, we're not put on hold. We are active ingredients in the hand of God to work towards the, the, the kingdom of God and build for the kingdom of God and lay hold of the kingdom of God and, and bring about changes in our lives, our family and, and our society so that God will be glorified. This is the call of God upon our lives. It is a story. It's progressing. It's going forward. 
and it is the greatest story that could ever be told, and we need to draw attention to this story by receiving the revelation of the kingdom of God and showing it in our lives. Now, uh, the proper focus of believers is fascination with the kingdom of God. There are many things that fascinate us, <laughs> many things that fascinate me. And in a way, uh, what the kind of things that I explore and enjoy doing because I have a curiosity, an intellectual curiosity about a whole range of topics and, and themes which are way outside of my, uh, of my parameters merely as, as a Christian pastor, teacher, theologian, or whatever. But each and every one of these disciplines that I enjoy reading about and discovering do have a relevance for the kingdom of God. So, for example, law, medicine, health, philosophy, politics, psychology, all of these endeavors of human understanding and, and the, the capacity of human beings to lay out their curiosity and discover things about the natural world and about one another. All these things are vitally important, and that's why we have a giant's program in the church, which means that we encourage people who participate in these different domains to stand up and be counted for Christ and to show the kingdom of God in each of those domains. So my thirst for this kind of knowledge and understanding does is, is very useful uh, in my encouragement of you in your domain. However, all these things are absolutely nothing and worthless without the superimposition of the kingdom of God and the relevant understanding of what God's plan really is. It's not just about education or sociology or any of the other studies of human endeavor. They are about experiencing the true and living God who carries us along, bringing all these things with them, transforming them and bringing them into a glorious conclusion, and our job on this planet is to bring those things as closely as we possibly can to be related and to approximate to the revelation of the kingdom of God. We will not do it without God, and we will not complete this without the return of Jesus Christ, but it is our agenda, it is highly relevant, it is practical. The church is the most relevant body of God's people on this planet. God's people are the most relevant people. We have, we are in fact the only ones who have the real hope for humanity. And we mustn't just sit around holding this good news to ourselves, but we must be hungry for more and more of God, hungry for more and more of his revelation, to spend days, if possible, waiting on the Lord, seeking his face, with the scriptures open, asking him questions, and he will answer us, and he will bring revelation. And that revelation, first of all, must be manifested in us so that we grow spiritually, but also then shown to others as we encourage them. Make your highest goal of discovery and curiosity the kingdom of God, and you will discover great things that will make a very big difference. So, a few more questions. Why is the revelation of the kingdom, which is so openly disclosed by Christ and so openly manifested in Christ, why is it not more widely accepted? You would think that if God had definitively broken into time and space, 
through the coming of Jesus Christ, his son, incarnated into this world, if he'd spent three and a half years of public ministry so that others could record his sayings and his teachings and the meaning and understanding of his doctrines in Scripture, which we know in the New Testament part of the Scriptures, if there could be an event so historically sound, so historically demonstrable, uh, without, you know, within all reasonable doubt, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was an historical event that was publicly performed in as much as there were witnesses and it's the only explanation for the rise of the faith of the New Testament, the only explanation for the rise of the New Testament itself, this divine miracle and manifestation is the mother of all miracles. And if this actually took place, why are people not aware of it? Why do people read the Gospels and feel nothing? Why do people just say, well, that's your point of view. Give me another one, please. I'll share, you what I, share with you what I think. Now, this is a very important problem in many people's minds. I remember uh, during the great debates that were happening with the so-called new atheist, Christopher Hitchens, who has now passed away. He was asked a question. Christopher Hitchens uh, was, was very gifted at slapping Christians around. They, they, they'd call, they called his method of debating the Hitchens slap, Hitch slapped. <laughs> and uh, he was very good with his, with his tongue and, uh, and very, very angry with the God that he didn't believe in. Nevertheless, this anger uh, boiled up on certain occasions. And one occasion, I think it was Frank Turek that asked him the question, uh, you know, if, if you died and found yourself face to face with God, what would you say to him? Hypothetical, out of your imagination, but just, just go there for a moment. And Christopher Hitchens said something with, that was run through with both bitterness and pathos. He said, I would say to God, why did you make it so hard to believe? Good, good question. Good question. Now, the essence of faith is not that you believe without evidence, but the evidence that is there, you are free to believe or disbelieve. And if you look at the world and have no questions, if you look at the stars of heaven, even with all the wonderful television presentations of the wonders and mysteries of the universe, if you looked at all of that and just say there is no God, that's your choice. But if you look at that and say there must be something out there, that also is your choice. Now, the difference between the two choices very often boils down to what's going on in your own heart. And I, this was brought home to me very powerfully in the very early days of my Christian experience. I was just a young 18-year-old. It was many years ago, 1972 to be precise. And I was full of the joys of the Lord. I'd go along singing, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And at that time, one of these charismatic choruses went on into a form of laughter. Ha, 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 ha. All right, we won't go there. Uh, many of you are far too young to remember the glory days of that 
the heyday of charismatic movement. I would go singing and I went into a corner shop that I chanced upon. It was not a shop I frequented, but I was so full of joy wanting to share the Lord that I immediately addressed those in the shop, particularly uh, a woman who was standing behind the counter. And I shared my testimony and shared the love of Jesus. And her reply I'll never forget. How dare you come into my shop and preach to me about that God when you don't know the suffering I went through and my family went through. And she began to talk in ways which later on I think I was able to understand that this was a Jewish woman who had in her living memory the Holocaust behind and the family members that she lost in the Nazi occupation of Germany and this incredible, horrific holocaust that was poured out upon the Jewish nation. Where was God in all of that? And so very often, people who have been through distressing circumstances of life, maybe that's you, maybe now several decades later, it's not directly related to that particular human tragedy and human atrocity that was committed by free will agents, not by God, by the way. Maybe your, your heart is broken. Maybe you look at the, the world around you and the sorrows of the world and your loneliness and sense of despair and frustration. Maybe many other things cause your heart to be hardened. Let me say to you, please, please open your heart and dare to be curious about this. But those who immediately reject the revelation, particularly like the, the, in the parable, the pathway, whose hearts have been hardened, that ground was hardened by the course of life, by the passage of humanity, walking and trampling it down into a hardened state. Maybe that's how you feel today. And in that situation of hardness of heart, the revelation resistors have their senses dulled by reason of their apostasy, falling away from the truth, closing their minds and hearts, as opposed to those who say, God, I'm humble, I'm broken, and I want to know you. What makes people hungry for God? What can bring them from this hardness of heart where they resist the open revelation of the kingdom? And for them, everything is in parables, fascinating stories, but haven't a clue what it means. What makes people hungry for God? Many things. It's the work of the Holy Spirit drawing you, speaking to you patiently, pursuing you, in love, wooing you. But also, it's that moment in your life when your idols topple. The things that you are trusting in prove to have had no foundation and they cannot help you, cannot save you. What is it for you? It might be the former generation of people who you trusted in, who have let you down. It might be a relationship. 
It might be a career. It might be anything else that you have looked into to bring deep satisfaction and fulfillment in your life. And you realize that it's all falling away. It's all falling apart. Don't lose hope. Because when your idols topple, maybe then you will open your heart and to say, I want God. Now, not just for those who are seeking God, as it were, in order to discover whether he exists or whether he is true, but those of us who are believers, just because he has found us and we've come to a certain level of revelation and understanding, there is more of God that we must discover and the whole of our lives is not enough. If we spend every day pursuing God, we will never fully encompass him. And I believe not, not even eternity will be long enough time for us to discover the depths of who God is, the length and the breadth and the depth of his love, the, the extent of his wisdom, the height of his compassion. We will spend eternity discovering more and more about him. And I believe that the degree to which we carry the knowledge of God on this earth, that's the same degree to which we can experience godly change, satisfied living despite all circumstances, and manifest and show the kingdom of God and show the glory of God to other people. This is why we must enter in to deeper and deeper into the secrets and the mysteries of the kingdom of God. I believe that coronavirus has opened the eyes of many people to inquire after spiritual things. We're told more people are asking about prayer who don't even know Christ. There's an openness to the gospel message, a, a willingness to re-examine it. Maybe... There's something we have missed in our post-Christian generation. Maybe we have been post-Christian too soon because we haven't even examined what the Christian life is all about. And I say all these things very much addressing those who are, 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 are in our wider circle, those who have not yet fully come to understand and know Christ. I'm addressing you, but I'm also addressing those who are on the inside, those who consider themselves to be believers, you consider yourself to be cl to close to Jesus? I say get closer to him ever before. We need a generation of people who are sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit, who know how to take spiritual truths, discover these truths, hear the secrets of God, whispered into your heart as you open your mind and your heart afresh to the scriptures. There is still yet more wisdom that we can glean from the scriptures. This evening I'm going to be speaking about some areas where we need to go back to the Bible. Because quite frankly, what I'm hearing out there from many people is nothing but a pooling of ignorance. That the coronavirus is a fail-safe sign that Jesus is coming soon. Now, Jesus may be coming soon. I live as if he's coming every day. At least I try to. But when you go to the scriptures and ask, what does the word tribulation really mean? What is the word rapture? What does the word second coming really mean? You will discover a far more relevant message that you can live and demonstrate to our generation. And instead of spending your time on spurious conspiracy theories, rather get to the secrets of the word of God and discover those secrets. And then you will have something that you can speak, not just to your family, but to the nation and to the nation. 
This is a call of the Holy Spirit for people to get back to the Word of God and to pour out their hearts in intercession with, on your knees with an open Bible and allow God to bring you fresh and deeper revelation from the same Scriptures, not looking for fanciful theories, but what does the Bible actually say? And when you are hungry before God and put aside your prejudices or put aside your complacency or your self-satisfaction, I'm speaking also to believers, we can come to a place where we are spiritually proud, so self-satisfied because we are believers in Jesus. Let me tell you, you and I have a long way to go and we need to break through into the practical relevance for a message which is clear on its story and clear on its narrative and clear on its content and a clear, clear on its relevance to address the real needs of men and women in our world today. Now, if you were with me, I'd say put your hands together and give Jesus a praise. But I'm going to imagine that anyway. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. So what makes people hungry for God? The collapse of viruses. And what causes those who have begun their journey, who are in some way open to God, what causes them to lose confidence in the Word of God? Well, I think there are three things. There is the hardness of heart that comes from constant adverse circumstances. That's the hard ground. Then there is the shallowness of contemporary Christian experience like the rocky ground where there's no root. God is calling you to deepen your roots. Don't be a shallow Christian because shallowness will not allow you to stand in the heat of testing and in the heat of the noonday sun. Believe that when the difficulties come and persecutions on account of the word come, you will flourish because your roots are deep. And then finally, it's the distraction typified in this thorny ground. Distraction by the attraction of the world and the things around us. The cares of this world, cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, and Mark's adds, Mark's gospel adds, desires for other things. So the meaning of this parable is the word is spiritual. The sower sows the word of the kingdom, and the kingdom word brings kingdom fruit. If you humble yourself and receive its revelation and nurture it from the position of being an active listener, manifesting its fruits by doing what it says, constantly holding on to the word and enduring in the word despite all difficulties or problems that you face. And then the life of the kingdom becomes manifest in you and visible to others. This is how you can understand and experience the secrets of the kingdom of heaven.